Welcome back to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your other host, Jane. And we're your favorite podcasters in the world who always talk about good things. Okay, I can't talk about the Red Pyramid right now. Jane, there's something more important we need to discuss as a podcast. Uh, There's a number of things this could be and all of them worry me. Jane, the houseboat is back. The houseboat is back. Do we need to podcast anymore? (laughs) (laughs) We did kind of start this to fill the void after they went on hiatus, didn't we? We're like good now, right? We don't have to. We, we're like done. <laughs> we used it was it is similar to uh, in these chapters the incantation. It was a spell that took many months to prepare correctly. It's true, but we executed it. I mean, the the houseboat coming back is why I just uh, stopped reading the chapters um, three in. Uh huh. And fucks up our previous attempt at recording this episode because I hadn't read them all. I swear <laughs> that's the reason. It's not just because I'm stupid. <laughs> you listened to the new episode? How'd you like it? This is a Shrieking Shack fan podcast now, by the way. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the uh, the preview of the just like batshit cryptocurrency podcast that they could have been doing for the past eight months. Because <laughs> I would absolutely have listened to eight months of like the Neopets NFT talk. God, same. <laughs> oh, okay, I guess we should. I guess we should talk about the book that we're reading. We should talk about the book, The Red Pyramid. Uh, should I? Would you like me to do the summaries today, Jane? I would like you to do the summaries. All right, let's get right into it. Chapter twenty-eight. Carter, we win an all-expenses-paid trip to death. Carter and Sadie return to Thoth, now residing in Memphis's Pyramid Arena, and he's very impressed with their performance. So he lets them know that the Book of Thoth contains an incantation for banishing Set into the Duat. And that it can only be read and spoken by Sadie in Set's presence. For the spell to work, they'll need to learn Set's secret name, most likely through his wife, the goddess Nephthys, and acquire a feather of truth from the Hall of Judgment in the Land of the Dead. Thoth tells them to travel down the river at night to reach them, and when they turn around, an old-fashioned steamboat called the Egyptian Queen is pulling towards the shore. Pharaohs always have access to a boat. Chapter 28. Carter aboard the Egyptian Queen. When they board the boat, Carter, Sadie, and Khufu, who decide to tag along, find Bast hanging out with the captain, an axe-headed demon called Bloodstained Blade, who implies Bast is hiding something about the boat. After setting their course, the kids finally get to relax and eat. During their meal, they get Bast to reveal her secret. The last time Bast was on this ship was the night of Ruby Kane's death, when Bast made her deal with Julius. And Carter realizes that she wasn't just fighting any chaos monster, she was fighting the Serpent Apophis. She tells them that when Ra withdrew from the world, his final spell was to bind Bast and the Serpent together in the Abyss forever. They were to destroy each other. However, when the Canes gave her an escape route, she took it. Apparently, Ruby foresaw a terrible fate if the Serpent were to defeat her. Carter questions the right of Ra to sentence Bast to the fate, and when he is chided, he runs off to his room and passes out asleep. His ba floats to the boat's wheelhouse, where he sees Horus, who transports him to see Dejadin, Zia, and two more magicians in a flight, which the magicians barely manage to save from total destruction by Set. 
Then, he lands in the scene of Horus and Isis fighting Set with Osiris' coffin, and the subsequent scattering of Osiris' pieces across Egypt. Horus says Carter must use the anger of losing his father to defeat Set, as Horus did, but Carter isn't happy with it, and he's suddenly awoken by Sadie, who lets him know they've arrived at the entrance to the Land of the Dead. Chapter 27 Sadie, a demon with three samples. The Egyptian queen travels to the Land of the Dead's first cataract, guided by the Book of the Dead. The kids learn that because Ra no longer travels down this river to fight Apophis every night, the spirits of the dead despair in want of his warming radiance. Furthermore, according to legend, the world will end when Ra is too tired to continue living and Apophis is able to swallow the sun. Soon, the boat is stopped by a giant figure emerging from the river, the god of blood, wine, and perfume, Shesmu, who challenges Sadie to figure out a secret name. She banters with him for a bit, and then he accidentally reveals it himself, and the steamboat continues on to the Lake of Fire. Chapter 28 Sadie I have a date with the god of toilet paper. In the Lake of Fire, Sadie meets Iskandar's Ba, who will decide whether they can pass through the gates to the hall or not. He expresses regret about forbidding interaction between magicians and gods, saying that apparently Sadie's mom foresaw this relationship would need to be reestablished for the continued existence of creation, and that's why she sacrificed herself. Before disappearing, he tells her a choice is soon approaching, and not to let her feelings cloud her judgment. He leaves, and the gates open into the Hall of Judgment. Bloodstained Blade sees them off, and while walking around, Bass gets tackled by a dog and runs off. The Peppo is Anubis, the boy Sadie saw in her dreams before. He takes them to the Hall of Judgment and shows them Amit the Devourer, Eater of Unworthy Souls, and the Scales of Ma'at, which judges those souls, and which is also weakening. Then, he brings Sadie to a funeral in New Orleans, and she tells him the plot. He's afraid of getting in trouble for giving her the feather, and tells her about his family life. He does end up giving her the feather, though, to help her free Osiris, who's his guardian, but under the condition that only she handles it, that she'll listen to Nephthys if she finds her, and that she must only tell the truth while holding the feather, lest she be destroyed. Then he asks her a few test questions, and she admits truthfully that she would give her life for her brother, and that and that she would be prepared to lose her father to save the world. They say goodbye, Anubis playfully saying she should take him on a date the next time they meet, and Carter and Khufu reappear with her at the graveyard. With the feather secured, they leave to find Bast and get back on their quest. So Jane. Hello. What'd you think of the chapters this week? Uh, I thought they were pretty interesting. Please elaborate for us, the viewers, and also me, your co-host. Uh, they were significantly less racist than the chapters we had last week, which is always a plus. Well. Oh. <laughs> uh, continue. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's it's a lot of, like, backstory and world building, and I think especially, like, setting up what the direction of the series is going to be after Set is defeated. Uh-huh. Because I feel like what most what, what's being gestured at here is the idea that Apophis is kind of, like, the endgame threat of this series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we also get like a lot of a lot of interesting character stuff. We get some elaboration on what I think maybe some of the themes are for this book. Interesting. So I don't know a, a lot of good stuff. What do you What did you think of these? Yeah, no, I like them as well. Uh, they were pretty like I don't know, pretty choppy chop, not choppy, like like a river. Yeah, like a river. Less choppy, <laughs> like a river. More like chop chop. Like they went very fast. I, I yeah. guess um the these summaries blew by and also like it felt like it packed a lot into a little i guess yeah because we go from 
where is it? Memphis? Memphis? Still Memphis? Yeah. Memphis, the guts of hell, New Orleans, and a bunch of other places within the guts of hell. Yeah. And it doesn't really feel that rushed that we're going to all these places. It feels quite natural. It's like a nice boat ride. Yeah. We've we've graduated from uh, Percy Jackson, the road trip series, to the King Chronicles, the boat trip series. <laughs> hey, Rick finally figured out how to write people on a boat. He did it. Without it sucking, or there being Confederate zombies on it. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, I, I, okay, I guess I'll start off with this, because maybe it's small, maybe it's big, I don't know. Um... I, I made a noise. I made a small... I, I said well when you said that the, these were significantly less racist chapters. You and, did. There was some dissension there. And I, I think... I, I broadly agree. I, I question a choice that is being made. Um, and this is this stood out to me especially with Isis and also um, and also Anubis. Uh-huh. Uh, Anub- how, how would you, like... The, the, how would you describe Anubis physically? I, uh, in one form, dog. Uh-huh. Uh, in other hand, it, teenage boy. Yeah, he's teenage white boy. I, I, I read this chapter in a hurry, so I might have skipped over that bit. No, I'm pretty... Yeah, he's he's described as, like, a very pale, like... Like, he, oh, he's no. described like Nico D'Angelo. Oh, no. Uh, and also, like... I th- it was the same thing with Thoth. Thoth. Thoth was, I'm pretty sure, described as white. And, uh, or, I, I don't know. And the same thing with Isis, also, who's described as looking like Sadie's mom. And I, I just don't know oh, how, yeah. I, how I feel about this. Yeah, that, hmm. Because it's not like, it's not a universal whitewashing that's going on. And it's not even just the evil ones. Like, Bast, I'm pretty sure, is not white. Or the no. in the in the official artwork, she's definitely not. No, she's not described as white. So that is that is one of those things that is probably worth giving the side eye, though. Yeah, I it it, it just feels like Rick. You don't you can you can write like a, an emo boy. He, <laughs> he he doesn't have to be white. Lots of he, people are emo. Lots of people have reasons to be miserable. <laughs> That's so true. Um, I I guess speaking of Anubis, though, I really I, I I was kind of worried that he would just be like Nico D'Angelo again. Uh huh. But but he's not. He's like I I'm kind of into this character. He kind of seems like a shitty teenager. He's just a shitty teenager who is also like very rooted in like the ideas that we've had so far of like these gods who are stuck in the exact same cycles of the entire like for their entire existence. Yeah, because he's he's thousands of years old, but because he al- has always acted like a shitty teenager who's scared of getting in trouble, that is what he continues to act like, despite the fact that he really should probably have moved past that by this point. Right, because none of them are moving past anything. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I like that, and I like the... I, I kind of like the rapport that is like... Uh, there's something, like, charming about him being, like, the way he speaks, like... He's like, oh, you have the the wherewithal of a Phoenician tradesman or something like that. Like, I don't know. That's it's just, it's just fun to me. Yeah, and I, I was also worried because I, I, I remember calling this a little while ago that this character was going to be a god. Uh-huh. And I was very worried that he was going to be like a handsome plank of wood 
that where like just the joke is that Sadie has a crush on him because he's attractive while he's just like saying exposition stuff. Right. But he he has a lot of personality. Yeah. I really like his like his back and forth. The fact that like he seems to be quite irritated by Sadie at some points. Like I really enjoyed the the um the part where he says that the a usual part of funeral preparation is the opening of the mouth. But for you, I will adjust it to the closing of the mouth. Yeah, that's just, like, funny. Like, I don't know. He's just, like, a, like... It's not funny. It, it's funny and also not funny. He's a fucking dweeb. That's it. That's it. Exactly. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, I can see how this is, like, the same form of humor, but transplanted back into, into like, ancient Egypt, I guess. It's like when you go to, like, a different place that you were, like... I don't... I'm not really part of this, like, family but I'm like visiting and they like mm. tell a joke that is like, I don't really like, I get what you're saying and I guess it's kind of funny, but everyone is fucking like rip roar. And like, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't, I don't get the impression that a lot of people laugh at Anubis's jokes. That might be why he's so sad. No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> I mean, it's less that I think people find him funny and more like, I appreciate that he has a different context for his humor. Yeah. That makes sense. And I do I do like their dynamic. I, I, you actually called directly that this would be Anubis. You didn't just call that this would be a god. You were like, I bet this will be Anubis. Okay, I didn't I didn't remember if I called it that specifically and I didn't wanna <laughs> I didn't wanna overreach and say that I predicted something I hadn't. Give yourself the credit. Hell yeah. Uh yeah, I I'm a fan of like how slippery the realms are like in these chapters because this whole time we've been like had we've had the the duot described as like just under the surface of like the i don't know human world and this is like playing with all sorts of like oh you just go on a river at night like going down the flow of the river and you will end up in like the land of the dead yeah again it's it's a very good like part of that differentiation from percy jackson where it's like you go to a music studio in la or one specific bush in central park and that's how you get to hades that's it whereas this is much more like fluid yeah and it's simultaneously more fluid and also feels less connected like in percy jackson it really just feels like the gods live in like these towns like they are people who are living in these locations yeah in in the Cain Chronicles with the Egyptian gods, it really never feels more than like it can feel like they are in a place, but it never feels like they live in that place. It feels like they are like connected to this place. Like we like we learn that Anubis isn't being hosted by like a human being when he appears. He's being hosted by the graveyard that they're in. Yeah. That that simultaneous fluidity and separation is something that I really appreciate about this depiction. I, yeah, I, just, I think that's that's almost what makes it feel more like they're doing their own thing, is that you do not have, like, if, if a Greek god is out in the world, they are out in the world. Mm-hmm. They can't just slip back to where they usually live by going on a river. Hermes is selling, is, Hermes is running Amazon. <laughs> Fuck. I hate that movie. God. <laughs> but because like so like it's it, there is that differentiation and i like that a lot and i i'm i i guess it makes it feel more mythical to me yeah i can see that i also like the kind of bonding they do with like their family lives i guess 
because mm-hmm. both here i mean here's a character parallel a very uh, obvious one both of them were like i feel like there's some kind of symbolism here it's not exactly the same thing but both of them were given to their grandparents to live with Mm-hmm. Like, like by one of their parents, obviously Sadie, not the same situation at all, but she feels like that. Right. And you know, it's, it's, it's pretty basic, but you know what? I'll, I'll take it. I, I, I'll take it. <laughs> Listen again, in kids books, this needs to be easy to pick out for the book report. Yes. Which is, is this podcast just us doing book reports forever? Yes. Okay. Just checking. No problem. <laughs> if you ever need me to bring you back down to reality <laughs> <laughs> just just ask Spe- speaking of uh brutal like attempts at reality checks uh i i want to i want to call out sadie for saying that when carter tells the axe headed demon to stay sharp she says that that's not funny fuck you sadie that's the funniest thing he's ever said <laughs> it's it's pretty funny i especially like it because it's like since we're not in carter's head at the time this is another instance where, like, being outside of that character's perspective works for, like, because we mm-hmm. don't have to hear him think about the joke or, like, hear his own internal reaction to saying it. We just get Sadie's, like, we get to be in that place of, like, oh, God, Carter telling his fucking jokes again. Yeah, we just get to be Sadie thinking that he's cringe. And, you know, I what the, the joke's qual- I, I I liked it, personally. Uh, oh, what do you think of Bloodstained Blade? I, I like Bloodstained Blade a lot. I like Bloodstained Blade. They are accruing a lot of slaves. I yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of like binding binding magical entities to their will for sure. Yeah, I'm not I'm not passing judgment on that yet because there is some stuff in this chapter that suggests we might be going to a place that challenges that. I'm just I'm, I'm putting that out there so that we're all aware of it. Oh, for sure. But yeah, I I like Bloodstained Blade. He's a I. The I- just the idea of, like, this dude who has, like, a bloody axe for a head is quite cool. Uh-huh. Like, on its face. Or on its axe, On its I face. <laughs> he has no face, Jane. That's the that's the thing. No, you've got, you've got me on that. But yeah, he's, he's cool. I like... It's, you know, slavery stuff, even with that in mind, I do like his, like, slightly contemptuous... Like, he clearly wants them to let him go... And he is just being polite to try and get them to do it. Oh yeah, it's a thin veneer. It's a funny it's a funny dynamic. It's like it complements Doughboy's much more openly rebellious streak quite well. Because both of them would gladly kill the canes. Absolutely. Like that's that's absolutely the previous magician master of Doughboy's uh blood on his on his face. Not Doughboy, uh ah, fucking what's his face? Axe Bloodstained Blade. Bloodstained Blade. Uh yeah no I I agree I just I I like the this kind of character where we get like the like you are very dangerous and it is only through a series of coincidences and powers that we have like been able to make it so you don't kill us uh, and now you're our like Alfred for the trip. <laughs> Speaking of we are we are once again encountering Rick's fascination with. Put a bunch of hungry kids who have been on the road in a place, and have a god conjure them up lots of uh, diff- a variety of different food. Well, it's a little bit different this time, right? Because this is sp- like specifically isn't Bast conjuring them up food. That's true. So I, I'm, I'm like, 
it almost seems like it is the boat itself doing it. Mm-hmm. It feels like there's some further secret to this this boat. I don't know. Yeah, the boat the boat seems like something that's going to come back later. Because we know that like Julius and Ruby used it, and like I don't know. I, I I'm not sure, but it feels hey, like there's wait some. Wait a second. What's up? Why doesn't Amos have a cool boat like this? I mean, he he ta- he's got he- a rinky dink fucking reed boat. <laughs> And his brother had a yacht that makes him food. <laughs> I mean, That's maybe, bullshit. Justice for Amos. Maybe Amos, like, maybe he could have gotten food if he'd asked for it. Maybe this is why there's, like, a rift between them. <laughs> he got the shitty boat. It's like, oh, yeah, if you have the blood of the pharaohs, you can always have a boat. But it just doesn't, it, you don't necessarily get to be the one with the coolest boat. It's a complete crapshoot what kind of boat you get. Like there is, there is like some some distant relative out there who has like like one of those like toy bath boats. <laughs> it's like ah, or like somebody out there is like, oh my fucking ship in a bottle. Like I I can't ride this. I have to get inside the bottle to get in it. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, this is stupid. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The the first chapter is very short. I'll say. The first chapter is basically just kicking Thoth out of the narrative so that we can move on. Uh-huh. I'm not Is this pyramid real? Yeah, yeah, the Memphis Pyramid. Uh huh. it's formerly called the Pyramid Arena. It's 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 uh, I look it up, it's interesting. It's it's got a viewers Google the Memphis Pyramid. Us uh, Hey, this thing looks cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool and also has a giant Bass Pro Shop logo on it. Oh yeah, that side looks worse. <laughs> Oh yeah, no, I remember hearing about this. It, because it went bankrupt, instead of having Thoth move into it, they had to sell it to a fucking fish company. God. <laughs> yeah, no. The It's I I had no idea about this until now, but it's so fucking funny. <laughs> I I had no idea that there was just a Bass Pro Shops pyramid in the world. Like, you can't make that shit up. This is you could write a thesis paper on this about like the horrors of <laughs> capitalism and the way that like art and like I mean the Memphis Pyramid itself like what was this thing I'm I'm okay I'm gonna look into this now. It even has like a Ramses on the front of it. It does. Poor guy didn't die for this. So originally, apparently, it was going to be one of three pyramids located uh, located on Memphis, overlooking the Memphis, the Mississippi. Jesus Christ. But it, it was it was simply one. Yeah, because it's a bad idea for a sports arena. <laughs> I mean, why why do you say that? I you can't have any like open air games in there because it like it closes at the top. Uh huh. And you've got to like you got to put in the seats the wrong way around, like relative to the pyramid. Like you, the amount of seating is limited by the fact that it slopes inward. Uh-huh. Like every other stadium will be like a bowl or like slope outward to make sure that you can fit a lot of seats in. So of well, course this fucked up. It was a terrible idea. Yeah, what about like basketball though? You got like basketball, you got like I don't know, like boxing, wrestling. I feel like you could do some cool stuff in here. Yeah, but the the seating thing still stands. Yeah, that's fair. Apparently this venue hosted uh, a concert in two thousand two commemorating the twenty fifth anniversary of Elvis Presley's death. Uh, which is, I don't know why the, I don't, there's something deeply funny about that to me. It makes sense. Of course. It's, it's, uh, fu- it's funny to me because I, I didn't fully twig what you said for a second there. I thought you meant that they were celebrating his death. Yeah. 
Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, wait. Okay. So the so Memphis was trying to get a basketball team to their town. They were looking for either the the Grizzlies or the Hornets. Uh huh. And but they were like, okay, we have to cha- like retrofit this to actually make it like a viable long term venue. Uh, and so they. They 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 did the renovations. They closed it for like a year to do that, and then the Grizzlies the Grizzlies were there for like three years, and the arena lost two hundred thousand dollars in a year. Uh, but also, <laughs> the contract made it so that nobody could use the pyramid without the Grizzlies' approval. This, oh my god! This is this is wild. Some. Some fucking relative of a counselor somewhere made fat stacks off this. It's the only explanation. It's a pyramid scheme. It's a fucking pyramid scheme. Oh my god, it's a pyramid scheme. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Jesus, you're right, you're right. And then in 2005, uh, Bass Pro Shops. Over over 3 million people visited Bass Pro Shops in the first year uh, of the pyramid specifically. Wait, it has a fucking arch archery range, a shooting range, a laser arcade. <laughs> it it has the tallest freestanding elevator in America. What the fuck? And they're considering adding a zip line to it. <laughs> this is I want to destroy this thing. So I, I I read about this in the book and I thought, is this a real thing? I wonder if this is a real thing. If the book had said that it was a pyramid with a giant, like, Bass Pro Shops logo on it, I would have just dismissed it as something that Rick Ryder made up. <laughs> I would have assumed there was no way that that's real. Yeah, yeah there, there's this part uh, in this chapter where Thoth is like, humans never forget their ancestry. It feels like, <laughs> does it feel vaguely like hashtag we are all Africans? Oh. I hate... I hate it, but I think you're right. It's kind of like, it highlights some of the weirdness with Rick trying to lump in Egyptian culture with, like, quote-unquote Western civilization. Uh-huh. Where, like, you know, the, the reflections of Greece that you can see in modern-day America are like, oh, the architecture of the centers of power has, like, all these marvelous columns and is uh, the white stone and stuff like that. And meanwhile, for Egypt, is like, yeah, we exploited the aesthetic to make this horrible testament to capitalism in this shitty mall god like it's it's weird to say that those things are like equivalent in this weird version of modern america that rick's portraying right like obviously there's an immense amount of architectural inspiration throughout the united states from egypt and that's like Mm -hmm. important and has reasons for it uh but it's like it's I, I think it's a strange notion to say that it is because of some like ancestry thing that like yeah. you, nev- you never forget where you come from. It 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 just feels very Dawkins esque. Oh, the the on, the only upside to that is like if Richard Dawkins did exist in Percy Jackson, he would just be like immediately struck down by all the gods. <laughs> Actually, I want to see that. I want Richard Dawkins to show up in these books just so a god can kill him. Please. It'd be so funny. I don't know. 
how I we talk a lot about like how does the world of the Riordan verse contend with like Christianity? And we, but we kind of know about that by this point. Mm-hmm. How how did the gods feel about atheism? Is the question. I really there's this amazing character in um I think it's Small Gods. It's uh, one of the Discworld novels by Terry Pratchett, and he is like the most determined atheist on the planet. And he he can never like stay outside for too long. He has to like scurry from building to building because the <laughs> gods are always hurling lightning bolts at him while he's sticking his fingers in his ears and loudly screaming that they don't exist. Terry Pratchett <laughs> is the funniest person in the fucking world. It's true. Rest in peace. Rip. God. Uh uh what else can we say about this novel? Um would there okay, what's what's happening with, with the plane? The plane that that's a really cool scene. Although uh-huh. I don't I don't know if I'm dumb or miss something or if it's just like poorly articulated. But I didn't realize that it was still falling until like the end until it almost hit the ground. Yeah, no, I, I actually had to do a second reread. I didn't quite get that. I the the image of them like rebuilding it in midair was like you know, that is very cool. Yeah, but I didn't. I wasn't able to quite twig either that they were like rebuilding it in midair and also it was falling. Yeah, uh, I thought it had just been like frozen in midair. Yeah, which I guess adds. I I wish that had come across to me the first time because that it was like a cool scene. But I feel like it would 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 have been even like cooler. Yeah, that would have been really tense watching them to like you know stick the engines back together. Yeah. What was. I'm not fully across what um, Horace was trying to prove to Carter by showing him this. Was it just, just like, Set is powerful? I, I just like Set is so fucking evil and he's going to destroy everything. So you have to devote yourself to the mission of killing Set most of all. Because that's more uh-huh. important than saving your dad. Because look at this thing that he can do. So I yeah. think that. I, I think that's it. And Carter and Sadie are being kind of positioned. They they have different positions on this because I don't think Carter could truthfully hold that feather and say that he would sacrifice his dad. I don't think he would say that. Absolutely not. But I I love that Sadie can say that. Yeah. I feel like that's that's almost kind of like a dark place to go with um a, like a teenage character like this. But it makes complete sense given what we know about her. Like <laughs> she barely knows her dad and as she quite rightly evaluates like at the cost of everyone else that she loves it's not worth it for her right and i like that these feelings are allowed to coexist because like Mm -hmm. we know that she also like loves her dad and desperately wants to connect with him more and is jealous that carter is jealous that carter got to have a relationship with him that she didn't get to have yeah, she's not rooting for this to happen. No, but I like that, like, all of that can be true, and also she can, like, look into her heart and know that she wouldn't choose him over the world. It's a very mature tone to take for the character. It it stops things from getting, like, unreasonably sappy, I guess. Yeah. I... Counter to that is kind of, like, and sort of framed by the same conflict... Uh, Carter's big character moment in these chapters, his big, like, character beat, I guess, would be when, like, he says, like, well, hey, why, like, it was wrong of Ra to be able to sentence you like that. 
and mm-hmm. like maybe Ra was wrong. And they're like, hey, you can't say that. Ra is our king. You can't, like, part of Ma'at <laughs> is not questioning the king. Uh, and he's like, and then Horus in his head is like, you know, you're, that, that those are very unworthy thoughts. And Carter is like, well, maybe I'm unworthy to, to the confusion of everyone because he just did, was responding to the bird in his head. But I think this is also a very good moment. Yeah. Hi. Welcome to what uh, everyday living in England is like. Oh, oh, is this like a like a monarchism thing? Yeah, that's terrifying. <laughs> like, do you have do you have like the disembodied spirit of like Prince Philip does lurk behind everybody, uh, whispering racist things at them? I was gonna say Princess Diana's disembodied spirit, but either one, I guess they're both dead. <laughs> They're both dead. Also, she'd kind of been kicked out of the royal family when they assassinated. I mean, she died in a horrible accident. <laughs> Sorry, uh, that all happened. I misspoke there. <laughs> very strange. Very strange. Uh, God, terrifying world we live in. Mm-hmm. But they are both girl bosses. Who can say who was right? <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, like, um, I like that Carter is just like crushing himself under this pressure yeah he's he's not holding up too well but i also like that even though he is being crushed under this pressure he is like he's not turning to like the egyptian gods to like solve that for him like he still has enough of a sense of morality or to recognize that what ra did was wrong yeah i think like because we get to see carter hold so firm in that way like to have all these characters be like hey this isn't just like kid stuff this is like a fundamental part of the universe and carter be like well fuck that like (laughs) that's stuff that i like to see in like well it feels different in percy jackson because percy says stuff like that and then like the 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 sky will rumble at him Mm -hmm. but i don't know there's i'm sorry to keep bringing these comparisons i guess and i can't maybe we've already talked about it enough but (laughs) it feels like It feels like there's a difference between, like, there's a guy who lives in the sky that will throw lightning bolts at me, and Mm -hmm. there is a guy who is, like, who is the world's life. A sleepy man. A a sleepy old man. Our our grandfather is too strong. Please stop praying for him. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And, like, Carter's still questioning that very, like, that very key part of the universe. I, I, I like that. I like this. I like that this is part of Carter's character. Yeah, th- this is kind of what I was alluding to earlier when I was saying, like, maybe the whole, like, them having slaves thing is something that we're going to be questioning. Mm. Because this is definitely Carter having a look at the, like, cosmic order as it's currently arranged and saying, this is wrong. Right. I don't know. I'm not sure. Is it like a Star Wars droid thing? Like where it where it just will never be brought up at all. I guess it is brought up in Star Wars, actually. It's brought up in the worst way possible. They have the they have the what is it the the like the what's it called like the dehancer chips or something like that the bolts the bolts the restraining bolts the the restraining bolts. Uh, oh, I uh, thought you were talking about the the very funny comedy SJW droid character from Solo. Oh, who, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll just say, like, hey, droids are slaves, and then everyone will laugh at her and tell her to shut the fuck up, and it's kind of framed as a comedy bit. Hey, you gotta love it. 
I, I'm just interested to see if that's... I feel like that almost won't be something that the series touches at all. Hmm. I don't know, because I feel like... I feel like we're not just getting into, like, cosmic order stuff with, like, the idea of repeating patterns and, like, them growing up to fulfill their parents' shoes and stuff. Uh-huh. I feel like this is where we're starting to get into, like, like themes about uh, about being frustrated at adult characters and, like like those quiet annoying fears that maybe you'll be just like them when you're older yeah because because like so much of this so far has been like adults like we can take this carter the scene with carter is a very good example like everyone is telling him like no this is just how the world works don't question it and he is saying like well i think maybe that's wrong and like this 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 um i don't know like Like, they have the voices of two big adults in their head, right? Yeah. The part that made it really click into place for me was um, when Iskandar's bar shows up while they're on the river. Uh Uh-huh. And it just kind of occurred to me while he was explaining, oh, I I did this shady stuff um, to try and help you out, that, like, every adult character in this book doesn't tell the kids what's actually happening, is extremely shifty, and will at some point say something like, you don't understand it now, but I've made a choice that will be for your benefit later. Right, As right. Like, You'll understand it when you grow up and repeat these patterns the same way that I did. We started this book off complaining about how, like, oh, the characters aren't telling us what's happening. They're just saying, like, <laughs> oh, you'll get it later. Like, that we that's how we, that's like one of the first points we brought up in this series. Shit, Rick got one over on us. <laughs> you're right darn it rick riordan gets another maybe next step maybe next episode he'll figure out how to turn around the racism (laughs) like oh it was good actually no he won't maybe maybe cast will like listen back to the recording that sadie made and just say what the fuck what the fuck (laughs) uh sadie you have some internalized things you have to deal with why is this the only thing you thought to mention yeah i that could I mean, I could see that's something that I could see like happening in the series because it's not it's not shying away from like in in some respects it is shying away from like aspects of racism and like the I don't know the feelings that happen when you're it in. It feels like, like, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna possibly slander Rick Ride in a bit here. Go ahead. It feels like that one episode of Brooklyn Nine Nine where they have a racist cop. You watch Brooklyn Nine Nine. <laughs> It's been known to happen from time to time. I know it's bad, but it, it, it's something to put on that does not challenge my brain in any way. <laughs> Cringe, Janie. <laughs> but go tell me about your show. But the, there, there is like the racist cop episode TM, where like it's it is acknowledged that that's a thing that happens, and they they get like relatively serious about the subject matter. But it's kind of one of those things where they shrug and say, oh, well, maybe it'll get better at some point and move on to something else in the next episode. Mm-hmm. Which I feel like is is possibly where that kind of commentary, that's kind of what that commentary is hewing towards in this book. It's possible. Like, Which, I, could... I mean, for a kid's book, that's, I, I'm not against that. I think... I guess. I don't know. I would say that I I think that one of the things that kids books are good at is like figuring out how to figure out how to handle challenging material in a way that is presentable for children. Yeah, this is I mean this is certainly better than like the M word or something like that. Oh, sure. Is that 
Wait, what is that? Harry Potter. Oh, right. I, I, for some reason, I thought you were talking about X-Men. But, I, I mean, I guess that also applies to X-Men. I guess so, yeah. Um, so I, I think that, like, because that is something that can be, like, like, delivered to children in a way that is, like, this is... In a way that, like, lets kids know that this is something in the world. And also, like... It's important to understand, because I think the way that people often talk about these things is like, how are we going to let kids know that racism exists? And it's like, you only have to let white children know that racism exists. Like, Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's even acknowledged in this book, where Carter's like, yeah, when I got to a certain age, police just kind of started giving me the side eye. Right, like, it's a thing where, like, people think that, like, well, how are we going to explain? But, like... The fact is that, like, there, I mean, obviously there's a lot here. This goes beyond, like, a book. Um, Mm -hmm. But I guess what I mean to say is that, like, I think there is something fundamentally, fundamentally unbalanced with the assumption that you have to, like, I don't know, here's how to explain it. And so I think that in this way, I think that maybe it's possible Rick Riordan could deliver something interesting here. Like something that yeah. is actually kind of nuanced, and we I think we've seen evident evidence that, that is possible. Um, like there is some, there is I thought some some pretty good handling of that in the, the early chapters, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know who's to say. Yeah, I mean it would be easier to not uh, continually get sucked down this rabbit hole, even in chapters that don't really address it, if it wasn't for all the shit that we'd had in the last couple of chapters. Right. But also, like, in those chapters, there was also the part with, like, oh, Carter gets, like, he's like, well, I have to be careful because, like, yeah, yeah, uh, the security guards and stuff like that. I- anyway, Sadie has has shown that she is uh, a person of culture and refinement and good taste. Uh-huh. Uh, we we occasion- we sometimes advertise our bonus show podcast, Nectar of the Pods. Right. Uh, but the true Nectar of the Gods is Ribena. What the fuck? Okay, you have to explain this to me. I don't know what Ribena is. It's it's just fucking, like, black currant juice and sugar, basically. Oh. Like, it's it's not anything especially fancy. I just like it a lot, and I, it tickled me to see it being brought up as a weird Britishism. That's really funny. You've told me about... You've told me about, like, your favorite black currant drinks before. I this think I like, might have done, yeah. This is like a conversation we've had. Is this like a very common thing in like England? Yeah, no, Ribena is like pretty popular. It is in most corner shops. Interesting. I want to try some now. Uh, I'm sure you. I'm sure there is an equivalent of the what the fuck is it called? Americandy that is in the local shopping center. Americandy. Oh yeah, uh, it's it's this wonderful place where you can go and you can pay four pounds for a bottle for a can of Mountain Dew. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I mean, do you get the candy, too? Can you get, like, the Reese's Cups and the, the Hershey's bars and such? Yeah, you, you can. But again, it's all, like, maybe three or four times what it would cost in the States. Wait, how much How much is four pounds? Four pounds, about six dollars, I think. Oh, okay. My head. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a lot. Ah, <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Um, you know, I, I have to say, there's, like... Uh, speaking of like, I guess very silly things like Americandy, uh, there was another short chapter in this one, or not short, but it just like nothing happened. 
I was uh, about. I was literally just about to say, "Hey, we haven't talked about chapter twenty-seven at all." And like, it's not that nothing happened, right? It's just that it was pretty purely a comedy chapter. It's. I. I don't know. I wonder if we're maybe getting like subtle foreshadowing in this chapter. I think so. I think so. Like, because this is this is just after we learn that like, oh, Sadie's gonna have to like read from the book to get Set's true name and kill him. Yeah. Um, but oh, immediately after that, we get a fight where Carter is trying to do that, but like it's taking too long and it's not working. So through her own wits, Sadie has to win the fight herself. Yeah. So I wonder but... if that's setting up what's going to happen in the finale. I think there's a good chance. Like either we could see like oh, Carter does it right this time, or, like, a combination of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, because Carter is like, well, obviously the answer is in a book. And Sadie is like, I'll just talk this jerk. He's, like, obviously not too used to having conversations with people. Uh, I'll I'll talk to him until he just tells me. Uh, yeah. Or, like, she does it on accident, kind of. Yeah, she just she's just kind of stalling, and then he fucks up, and she capitalizes. It's very silly. I don't know. It doesn't. It's not like the most satisfying encounter I've ever seen. Yeah, no. It's it's just a fun monster encounter that ends with Carter getting a bag of perfume smashed into his face, which, which is, is quite funny. It is funny. Um, I do like the stuff with like about how like oh you know because we're hearing about how like oh every night Ra would fight Apophis, um. But also we're hearing about how, like, oh, because of that battle, every night, like, Ra would go by and all the spirits would be warmed by, like, Ra's sunniness. Yeah. I, there's something, like, that was pretty striking about that to me. There were a lot of, like, small striking moments in these chapters. Yeah, like, the the boiling lake smelling of rotting meat and burning petrol. Yeah. It's like, that's, that's a very vivid image. And I like that, uh, I don't know, there are a lot of small, like, mythical things in here that really appeal to me. Okay, this is, I guess, a mythology corner. Here we go. An aspect of, like, an aspect here that I wasn't expecting to show up is the clash between, like, traditional ideas of Ma'at, which, like, do present, like, what are the things that you need to do to maintain a good life? And, well, one of those things is obviously believe in the godliness and righteousness of the king. Mm-hmm. Oh, Carter's going in that fucking lake. <laughs> right. But, like, the thing is that I think it's really interesting to see how what was a very, like, I guess, like, straightforward um, religious belief, because there was a king who was believed, like, who was believed because of, like, you know, propaganda. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, and the reason that people, like, incorporate the idea that there has to be, like, that you have to, like, follow the pharaoh is also because of, like, state propaganda. Like, there isn't... I think it's interesting to therefore see the clash beca- be- between this idea that is injected into, like, a belief system because of the surrounding, like, structure of the, like, government mm-hmm. and-, and a more, like, I guess modern take, which looks at those ideas and says, well, now, wait a second. Why do we need to believe in the godliness and righteousness of the pharaoh? <laughs> Uh, you guys don't believe in the godliness and righteousness of your head of state? <laughs> uh, the queen is the head of the Church of England. We still do that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you're <laughs> right. Uh, 
but you also you don't like literally say well obviously an aspect of raw is that you know etc etc so i think that's interesting i like that the clash is there yeah it's 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 interesting to see like like that idea of here here is a mythology system that i'm going to reproduce grappling with the idea that no someone was telling these egyptian peasants that this guy was a god for like very cynical political reasons right and like people believed it very wholeheartedly for sure Uh i I assume so i guess i don't literally know that Um, it probably wouldn't have lasted very long if they didn't right but also like and this is something that people deal with in like reconstructionist like follow and like reconstructionist kineticism when they're like well how can i like take a very historical view how can i look at what was done then and try to reproduce it now and Mm -hmm. it's like well there isn't a pharaoh (laughs) to like to like believe in in that way and yeah how people respond to that is interesting my my personal belief of course is that obviously that's it's very true that often religious beliefs can be used for like like the propagation of the state i have no idea what you're talking about god save the queen (laughs) uh jane (laughs) <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't have been so cynical about the idea that England is just the direct descendant of Egypt. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> you might be onto something here. <laughs> I have one last point. All right. Give it, give it to the, us. To, in, in the opening of the first chapter, Carter is doing a lot of bitching and complaining about being turned into a lizard. Uh-huh. And I feel like that's slightly out of proportion. Right. Given that... Option one was turned into a lizard. Option two was having a golf ball-sized hole blown in him by a shotgun. (laughs) Of the two, I'd rather be a lizard. I guess so. (laughs) Yeah. No, I can feel it. I would love to be a fucking little lizard running around and scurrying around and climbing on things and running around, you know? I feel like you'd be very happy. Thank you. I would be. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I guess if your body is, like, feeling like it's being crushed into a fucking ball, then maybe that's not as good. But that's better than your body being blown out the back of you. I don't know if that's true. Like, I feel like you would die instantly, right? Uh, Depends on where you got shot. I guess so. Hmm. Well, this is a bit too grim, so I think we have to end the podcast now. Uh, Yeah, I think so. If you'd like to reach the show, you can check us out on twitter.com slash unwisegirls. We've got all our links to our Patreon, our Discord, our own personal Twitters, our email. You can contact us. We just gave up on the segment, didn't we? We haven't done the segment for like five episodes. Yeah. (laughs) King Chronicles characters are not cishet. In in these chapters, uh, we... Most uh, of these chapters are about Sadie being aggressively heterosexual. (laughs) I mean, I was going to say that Sadie did finally dye her hair blue, though. Uh, Blue hair and pronouns. (laughs) Ah, God. Uh, Yeah, no, I I just don't have the material to work with anymore. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's because it's not about Greek mythology anymore, so it's all a lot less, like, textual. Yeah, I mean, there's stuff there, but you know. Yeah. You can contact us any of those places if you want to tell us about uh, your own favorite pharaoh who is still living today. Um, <laughs> if you want to support us, you can uh, check out, you know, maybe the iTunes or whatever your your local podcasting thing does. It probably has a rating system. Give it five stars. Maybe leave a review. It really helps us a lot. Nobody's done yeah. it yet. Um, and 
Uh, also, uh, you can just support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash unwisegirls for one do- fucking, okay. Uh, for one dollar a month, you get the special <laughs> Discord role of Camp Counselor. Uh, for, we said we would remember to keep- we, we, No, we, we did, we talked about we, it, and it no, was inconclusive. We, ta- we talked a little bit about it, and then forgot to talk past the one dollar a month level. <laughs> Uh, well, why, why, don't, why don't we say the $1 a month level and I think let's save change it, it let's, before the episode? Okay. <laughs> let's save it. For $3 a month. Wait, no, I forgot to say the $1 a month one. <laughs> for, for $1 a month, you get to be the camp counselor of our Discord server. For $3 TBA. a month, for $3 a month, you get to be a friend of Dionysus. And uh, you get access to our, all of our bonus content as well. We talk about lots of stuff on there. Homestuck, Doctor Who, uh, Bacchano, if we remember batman last week because you were talking about batman joker bromance oh yeah batman uh batman john doe uh a definite heterosexuality for sure <laughs> uh how much jane just loves loves her some chris chibnall arcs we're going we're going bi-weekly now on that for a little bit just until jane's out of the swamp exam swamp back into the swamp as it were because Jacqueline the swamp, Swampert where the Swampert lives yeah that's right um, for five dollars a month you get a special role of Aphrodite's Chosen uh, all of our bonus content and also a thank you at the end of our episodes speaking of which this week we like to thank uh, Mercy Veronica Friend and Erica thank you everyone thank you and as we always say at the end of every single episode See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. Bye. Bye.